Well, it is great to worship with you this morning, church. Um, if you forgot already from communion to now, my name is Pastor Jason. I'm new here at Friendship um, and really, really excited to be opening up God's Word with you this morning. I just wanted to say thank you to this church. Um, we've been here a few months now, my wife and two kids, and we have felt so welcomed and um, so just excited about what God's doing here and uh, happy to be a part of uh, the community here. So thank you very much. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this uh, series to end this morning. Uh, Jesus has some, some cool things to reveal to us as uh, we come to a close in the Jesus Revealed series. Um, and we've, we've seen a lot in the first four chapters of Mark. We've seen uh, that, that it reveals to us who Jesus is and what he's about, what his mission is. Uh, he's been revealed as the Son of God, the, the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, his authority has been revealed. He's got authority over the natural world. We saw he had authority over um, malady and, and sickness. Um, his authority over the spiritual world has been shown to us. He's got authority over demons and sin. He has authority to forgive sins. Now, we've seen all of these things. He has authority as a teacher. He's got authority over God's law. Um, he, he has shown that he knows how to interpret the law correctly, and he teaches with authority. And it's like, it's almost like Mark sets his gospel up to kind of give us the credentials of Jesus up front so that as he moves into more dedicated teaching, that teaching carries a heavier weight to it. And so my prayer is that as we've been going through this, you've seen and acknowledged and submitted to the authority of Jesus because that will really add weight to the teaching now as we started to see last week in the parable of the sower or the, of the soils and then as we're going to see this week in some more parables that uh, this is from the Son of God. This teaching isn't something we come up with. Um, these are words recorded for us um, by the disciples and by Christ himself. And so they carry that full authority that we've already seen. And so, um, yeah, when Jesus starts to teach here, um, we, we can submit to his authority. And so we'll be in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 21 this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that or on your app. Um, if you've got a Bible app, Mark 4, verse 21. Um, and before we go any further, let's just let's pray that we would receive uh, God's word this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ, the one who has revealed to the world the mystery of the gospel, the one who has revealed your grace. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who gives us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that understand. We ask that you would allow us to encounter Jesus this morning through your word and that that would transform our lives. That we would see more of you, Jesus, and make you more known in the world around us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so basically we've got um, four parables that we're looking at this morning with four principles attached to them. They're all short parables, so we'll work through them uh, somewhat quickly. You'll, you'll learn soon that quick never means quick for me. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. 
So like I said, Mark 4, 21 to 34, um, four parables that kind of build off of each other. And so principle one kind of lays the groundwork. Principle two kind of builds off of that. Principles three and four are really applications of that. And so we want to make sure that we get these initial parables down. So we'll spend a little bit more time in them. Uh, But let's jump right in into parable number one. This is the parable of the light. Um, This is found in Mark chapter four, verses 21 to 23. You might read this and think that's not a parable. A parable needs to have like a character and different things like that. No, these are called parables as well. Really anything that's like a metaphoric teaching from Jesus, the Bible refers to as a parable. And so that's why we're calling this a parable. So parable number one, the parable of the light, starting in Mark 4.21. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And the principle we draw immediately from this parable is that Christ is the revealer of the hidden things of God. This is a pretty um, straightforward Christian truth. It's a pretty simple truth. But what I love about the Bible, what I love about the gospel, is it's full of simple truth that when we sit on it can have a profound impact on our lives. So if you're reading that going, yeah, of course, Jason, Christ is the revealer. He's the light. Great. Yes, there might be something for you today as we sit and marinate on that. So stick with me. Um, And so, yeah, the, the parable of the light also makes perfect sense. This isn't one of those like, what's Jesus saying here? No, when I turn a light on, the reason that I'm using that electricity uh, is so that I can see things, right? I'm not going to turn a light on and then cover it with a blanket. Okay, there's, I don't want to pay for that, for the electricity. I'm not using it. Um, That's the whole point here. There's nothing deeper um, in terms of the image that Jesus is doing. You don't need to study the history to understand this concept, But we're going to see two important things here uh, coming out of Christ being the revealer of the hidden things of God. And the first is this, that Christ's purpose is to reveal kingdom knowledge. And it's, it's important for us to grasp that the knowledge of God is hidden But it's not hidden to keep it a secret, um, and it's not hidden to keep it away from others. Because if you were paying attention last week, you may have seen in the parable of the soils where Jesus says, I'm talking in parables, lest some people understand. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, almost sounds like Jesus, you don't want people to repent. Does anyone remember that from last week? Um, In that parable there, it can almost sound like he's trying to hide the kingdom from Uh, certain individuals, but really the focus here, as Mark shows, is no, the things aren't hidden to, to keep them a secret from others. They're hidden precisely so that anybody that desires to can find them in Christ, and that's the only place you can find them, and that's why God has hidden them in Jesus, lest we think we can find him on our own. And so that's what's going on here. Um, True saving knowledge of God is hidden so that it can be found in Christ. You know, several years ago, my wife and I, we were introduced to escape rooms. Anyone ever done one of those? Awesome. They're super fun. You know, the business owners of escape rooms are brilliant. Give us money and we'll lock you in a room, right? (laughs) Man, they nailed that one. So... The whole point, whole premise in an escape room is you're locked. You have like an hour, hour and a half, and you need to find different clues and um, different patterns and different, just solve different puzzles to figure out how am I going to get out of this room, right? Those things, the clues, the way out, that's hidden so that it can be found. That's different than me hiding the 
password to my computer so that others can't get onto it and access private information. You guys see the difference there? Right? That's what kingdom knowledge is like. That it, God hides it so that it can be found. Um, God doesn't hide the gift of salvation in order to conceal it from the world. He hides the gift of salvation so it can be found in Christ Jesus. And, and that, if, if we look a little bit closer, that is what Jesus is saying here. The language used in verse 21, uh, where it talks about the lamp here, um, sometimes it, it's a little bit easier to translate it as a lamp isn't brought forth, but that makes it passive as if the lamp is being brought, and it also makes it seem like it's just any old lamp, but in the original it's actually the lamp, and the word that's used is actually an active word, the word meaning come. The, the lamp comes forth, and it's the word that is often that Jesus often uses to say, the Son of Man has come for this purpose. The Son of Man has come to do this. And so that's why this parable here is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is truly the lamp here in this parable. And um, yeah, that's, that's what he's saying. He has come to make everything known, verse 22. All the things that are secret will be made known. And that's because that's Christ's purpose. The stuff that is hidden isn't hidden in order to conceal. It's hidden so it can be found in Christ. Don't miss that this morning. Um, because everything else will build off of this. We can only grow in our knowledge of God through Christ. Another thing that's quite simple but profound if we sit with it. In Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures uh, of wisdom and knowledge. And so the question is, how, how do we come to understand the gospel? How do we grow in our understanding of, of who God is and what he calls us to do? I'll tell you, it's not by logic or reasoning alone. Sometimes we can think that I've got a great argument for God or I've got really good logical reasons to believe in God. And, and there are. There are logical reasons to believe in God. There's rationale behind the Christian faith. But those things themselves have to also be submitted to Christ Jesus. And we come to know God ultimately through Christ Jesus. May he use logic and rationale? Absolutely. But all knowledge is hidden in Christ. We can find it in him alone. It's also not found by looking, you know, within to find our true self. Um, you're not going to find God. You're not going to find salvation by simply doing some soul searching. It comes through Christ and Christ alone. It doesn't come by accumulating knowledge in the technically correct theology. It comes through Christ alone. It comes by submitting our minds, our souls, and our lives to the authority of Christ Jesus. And that's one important element, but the other important element here um, that should be obvious, um, but I'm going to point it out, is this. Kingdom knowledge is inherently outward-oriented. Once again, the light, isn't, uh, the light isn't good in and of itself. The light is, you know, shining to make things evident. Uh, it's, you know, again, Jesus is saying, if you've received the gospel, if, if you know God, if you are walking in freedom, if you are walking in new life with Christ, if that's true saving knowledge, that's going to impel you to share that with others. Because that's exactly what Jesus is doing, right? He came precisely to make known the things of God to humankind. And so I would, you, you may want to ask that question this morning. 
if I'm not in any way being impelled by the gospel to share my faith, am I missing something? Because I'll tell you, the gospel is inherently outward focused. And this parable teaches that. This parable teaches that the light wants to shine. And if you, especially if you're actively covering it up. Um, now that's, I mean, that's the whole point of the parable. Like, no, nobody does that. It goes on a lampstand. So that's where we start. Christ is the revealer of the hidden things of God. First and foremost, that means we need to submit to him and him alone to know God. And secondly, that means, man, we got to make sure that as we submit to God, we see that this is outward focused, that it's a faith that propels us out. That's parable one. Parable number two. There's a little less to say about this. This is the parable of the measure. Again, it's not a story. It's just a metaphor, and it's two verses. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. Jesus goes on. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Principle here um, is maybe not as evident as the first one, but kingdom knowledge is given to those who seek it in the right place. Stick with me. You'll see why that's the principle here. But let's just start with what this parable actually means. This this idea of... um, This idea of the measure was a well-known concept in uh, the Greco-Roman world. Um, The measure was a figure of speech basically highlighting the principle of reciprocity, right? You get what you deserve. You get what you sow. It's often used to talk about God's judgment. He'll judge according to your deeds. If you recognize this, and maybe you saw this parable in the Gospel of Matthew, that's how he uses it in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, judge not, lest you yourselves not be judged. And then the measure by which, you know, you measure others, you'll be measured. It's used a little bit differently here in Mark because what Mark's doing here is he's saying that to those who receive this idea of the lamp, to those who say, yes, Christ is the revealer of all things, then the measure to which you submit to that is the fruit that you'll bear in your life. The effort that you put into hearing, understanding, and obeying Jesus is the degree to which the gospel will bear fruit in your life. That's why in verse 24, he says, look carefully, okay, and and some translations take that to say, look carefully how you hear these parables, basically meaning look carefully that you are submitting to Christ and submitting to his lordship so that you can receive the knowledge here, and look carefully that you are doing this actively, that you are putting effort into knowing God. Now, I want to say something about this. This is not the same as saying that God will bless you financially if you give him enough faith, okay? That's not the reciprocity that's going on here, right? So you can't be thinking, and I got this, uh, I got this illustration correct in the first service. You can't be thinking, oh, if I um, just have a lot of faith in God, then I can build a nice big house on Lake Minnetonka, right? I'm from Chicago, so that's, that's good that I know that Lake Minnetonka is a, uh, a thing, That's not how this works. It does mean if you're devoting your life to Jesus and and following him and being obedient to him, you can expect to grow spiritually. If you're not, 
you can't expect to grow. Why, why am I not growing in my faith? Why doesn't God feel closer? Why, why am I still struggling with this sin or, or temptation? How, how come I don't know what to do and I feel kind of lost with, with where I'm at? First thing I would ask you is, well, what kind of effort are you putting into your relationship with Jesus? How would you expect to, to know him if you're not seeking him? The effort you put into hearing, understanding, and obeying Jesus is the degree to which the gospel will bear fruit in your life. As you seek out Jesus and respond appropriately to his call on your life, you'll reap a great reward. And, Jesus says, more will be added. And so it goes on beyond just this uh, principle of reciprocity. I mean, he, he basically he's saying, look, you sacrifice now and, and you devote your life to Christ because the reward far outweighs what you, I mean, this is a bargain, right? This is buying Amazon when it's like five cents a share. <laughs> that, that, that more will be added to you that's the way that God operates. I mean, that's just who he is. He takes the smallest bit of faith to move mountains, right? And so, so that's what Jesus is saying here. And that's one side of the application. But the other side, like we saw in the first parable, that kingdom knowledge is outward oriented. Is that those who have received knowledge of God through Jesus will proclaim it and participate more fully in the kingdom of God. The other side of the measures is, man, when, when you are actively receiving that word and it's impelling you out to share the gospel, you get to participate in God transforming the world. You get to participate in God transforming people's lives. Listen, he's God. He's going to do it no matter what. It's a gift that we get to take a part of it. What Jesus is saying is you're going to miss out. God's still going to act. You'll just miss out. You'll just get a smaller measure, or Jesus says, you know, even what you have, some base knowledge, like, it'll almost be taken away. Like, you won't get any, any benefit from it. Because the knowledge is inherently outward-oriented, and so the more that you genuinely receive the knowledge of God and share that knowledge, the more you'll receive from God in order to share even more. Kingdom knowledge is given to those who earnestly seek it in the right place in Christ alone. And that's the second parable this morning. The third parable, and thank you for sticking with me. There's not a super cohesive theme here to draw it all back to, so it's kind of like parable, 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 parable. So thank you. I don't, I don't see anybody asleep yet, so that's a good sign here. Well, here's the third parable, the parable, I'm probably the only one that calls it this, but the parable of the secret process, I didn't have a better name for it, um, and, and let's see how Jesus builds off these first two parables. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the full grain in the ear, but when the grain is ripe... At once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And the principle here is pretty clear. God causes the growth. We need to get this out of the way right at the beginning. This parable doesn't really apply to us if we haven't heard the first two parables. If we haven't heard that 
Jesus is the revealer of kingdom knowledge. And if we're not taking that to mean that impels us out to share the gospel, because this implies that somebody is scattering gospel seed. And if you're not scattering gospel seed, then what do you care how it grows? It's not, I'm not a farmer, okay? But if you have a bag of seed sitting in your shed, that's not going to cut it, okay? That's not going to grow, right? Is that, are there farmers in here? Is that right? Am I, am I okay to say that? And so this, this parable doesn't mean anything unless we're being impelled out, unless we are sharing the gospel, unless we are sharing the love of Christ with others. This tells us how the gospel will bear fruit in the world. It helps us set a proper expectation. Because sometimes I can get really excited, like, man, God's going to move, God's going to act, he's going to transform lives. And then I'm like, well, what's, what's God doing? Um, where's he working? You know, we, we did all these great things, and we prayed for this for a long time, and I'm not really seeing any fruit or anything happening. Well, things are happening. We just, Jesus is calling us to trust that the fruit of the gospel is wholly a work of God. See that word in verse 28 that we translate, uh, it says the earth produces by itself. That's, that's where we get the word automatic from. And, and sometimes that's used in Jewish literature to refer to things um, happening because of God's power without human intervention. So what's Jesus saying? He's reminding us where the power lies. It, it lies in the gospel. The gospel is the power to salvation for all who believe. That's what we believe. That's what's true. That's where lives will be transformed. It's not a really great evangelistic strategy, although that can be helpful. It's not the best apologetics that you can read, although that can be helpful as well. It's not the most well-reasoned arguments for God, and there are plenty the fruit of the gospel is wholly a work of God. See, if we listen to these first two parables and, and we're impelled to uh, share the gospel with the world around us, as we take that seriously, Jesus wants us to remember that our job is to sow, to cast seed. God's job is to make that seed bear fruit. Take your mission seriously. Spread the gospel, but don't, for one prideful second, believe that you personally or I personally am responsible for lives that are transformed. And at the same time, don't, for one self-abasing second, think or believe that because somebody in your life isn't responding to the gospel, somehow that's your fault. Well, if they're not responding because they're not hearing, that's a different conversation. But if you are spreading the seed and they're not responding, you don't need to live in the lie that you're not doing what Christ is calling you to do. The parable of the secret process tells us who knows how God causes transformation. I mean, we're going to celebrate transformations this morning in baptism, and we're going to hear stories of God causing transformation in people's lives, live testimonies that God still works miracles today, that people who are dead in sin come alive in Christ. Who knows how God does that? I don't know. He, he works it. He does it. You know, sometimes he even, he even uses kind of the opposite of sharing the gospel. So I heard a story once of um, some 
Jehovah's Witnesses who were out going door to door and witnessing, and they went to a, a door and, and they, they shared their message with somebody there, and that person misunderstood them and went to church and was saved. <laughs> like, okay. All right, that's the secret process there. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, he was a, a renowned agnostic, and in one of his autobiographical works, he said that it was actually reading the works of the atheists and the agnostics of his days that drove him to Christ. I mean, God, if God can take the likes of that, and, and, and if God can use those types of vessels to draw people to himself, trust me, wherever you're at in your walk with Jesus, whatever sin you're facing, however you think, oh, I don't have elegant words, or whatever it is, whatever shortcoming you believe that you have, God can use it. God can use it. And so be encouraged this morning by the parable of the secret process that Jesus gives to us. And I love what that does because it removes any trust that we have in our own strength and reasoning. And it, it gives us the opportunity to be used by God. It heightens our responsibility to share the gospel and it takes the pressure off for achieving any success in doing so. Now, don't be rejected because you're sharing the gospel in a way that doesn't bring glory to Christ. That's a different story too. Um, we're, we're called to share it faithfully, not in a way that brings judgment, but in a way that invites repentance. And so I just needed to say that as well. And that brings us into the final parable, the parable of the mustard seed. We all know this one pretty well. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. See, what the principle that we get here is that God uses seemingly insignificant things to accomplish his purpose. And so again, that kind of builds off of the secret process where we don't know what he's doing within somebody, but then when we start to see things, we might think, that's it, God? That's all you're doing? Uh, this little insignificant thing? Like, the mustard seed is tiny. That's true. It's, not, it's technically not the smallest, but most people in that time would kind of use that as a frame of reference. Say, yeah, the mustard seed is kind of like the smallest seed out there. Now, it, and when it grows, it, it grows as like a garden herb. And so it certainly looks a lot bigger than all the other garden herbs around it. But let me tell you something. I don't have great hops, but... Any mustard plant, I could jump and touch the top of, okay? So it's not a super tall thing. Like, to call it a tree, as some translations do, is very generous. This thing's not a tree, okay? Sometimes we think, man, when the gospel bears fruit, uh, it's, it's going to look like a cedar of Lebanon. When the gospel bears fruit, it's going to be a, an American uh, redwood or a sequoia. Like, that's what gospel fruit is going to look like. And Jesus is like, uh, yeah, it's going to look like a little mustard seed, and it'll be about uh, nine feet tall, and uh, it might have some branches that birds might be able to make a nest on. Like, that's what 
his picture of the kingdom of heaven is. And I think that that shakes us out of thinking that success uh, is all exterior, that success is what the world tells us that it is, that success is looking a certain way. When this parable of the mustard seed says, no, God uses seemingly insignificant things to accomplish his purposes. God's work in your life or in the lives of the people around you may seem small or insignificant. And you may be thinking, Great. If you're thinking this, great. You may be thinking, I want to make a mark for Jesus. You may be thinking, I want to make an impact on this world. But how many saints who have gone before us do we not know the names of? And they just live faithful lives before God. How many faithful Israelites walked through the Red Sea? I mean, they did something spectacular. We don't know who they are. How many pastors have faithfully tended to their flocks, sowing gospel seed? We don't know who they are. They haven't made a mark. You want to make a mark for Jesus in the world? Here's where I would suggest starting. Live a gloriously mundane life. A life that is faithful to what Jesus is calling you to do. A life that is obedient to him as your Lord. A gloriously mundane life. One that bears witness to the gospel in both word and in action. And on the surface, that may seem plain or too small or too simple, but I don't know about you, but submitting my whole self to Jesus in everything that I do, that's plenty for me for the next however many years I have in my life, okay? I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just a worse sinner than some of you guys, but that's a lot of work right there. So that's a good starting point. If I want to follow Jesus. It gets to the end where Mark says, man, he taught only in parables. It reminds us that we need to come to Jesus to receive any of this. We need to be tied to Jesus. To receive the parable of the light and the fact that uh, the gospel is only found in Christ. We need to be tied to Jesus. We need to be reminded of that. The parable of the measures to seek after Jesus. We need to be tied to Jesus. The parable of the secret process, lest we become prideful and think that we ourselves are the ones causing the transformation. We need to be humbly tied to Jesus. The parable of the mustard seed, we need to find our value and success in how we live before Christ and not in trying to make Make mustard plants look like cedar trees, right? That's what Jesus is calling us to with these parables. And so our response this morning is simple, just like the parables have been. Seek to know God through Jesus, to share Jesus with others, and entrust the results, whether that's in your own heart and in your own life or in the lives of those around you, entrust those results to God.